Hello and welcome to the Human Factor Podcast, a series of conversations discussing the topics and themes influencing the world of work today. My name is Michael Esau. I'm a global HXM advisor at SAP. My name is Simon Humphreys. I'm a solution architect at SAP. So this episode, I think, is going to be interesting because we're talking about uh, the topic of payroll. It's always been on our list, but I think we're going to be discussing this from a sort of maybe a different angle and a different viewpoint and not just the transactional part of what payroll means. You're in the hot seat. What are you looking forward to in this conversation today? Well, look, times are hard. They have been for some time now. How can organisations help above and beyond just the normal payroll operations? How can organisations be more flexible um, with employees that might be struggling? And, you know, if you take that even further, how can that organisation maybe even take that payroll proposition and turn that into a potential competitive advantage when and attracting people to themselves? Yeah, I think that's the bit for me as well, is that we're talking about earned wage access, aren't we? And I want to understand what does that mean over and above the sort of the transactional aspect of it? This is how it works. But what does it mean? You know, what does it mean as maybe as a competitive advantage? What does it mean in terms of well-being? You know, what does this actually mean just generally in terms of how people are sort of living their lives, if you like, which is different? Should be good. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Our guest today is Sharon Kirby, who is a senior vice president at Anyday. Sharon oversees operations in the UK and Europe and is responsible for driving the launch of the Anyday platform internationally. She is an industry veteran with years of experience in managing global businesses, large enterprise sales teams, and partner alliances. Most recently, she was director of partnerships at earn-waged access provider, Hasty. Sharon regularly leads webinars and speaks at events on the topic of financial well-being. So welcome to the show, Sharon. Thank you very much for having me. I'm just going to set a bit of context. So we're going to talk a bit about payroll today uh, and some of the implications around payroll. But paying people for services has been around for a long, long time. In the early days, the currency of pay was commodities, maybe food, salt, grain, clothes, blank grants, shelter, even beer. Uh, but payroll as a term started to gather pace in the 17th century. Payroll as a term can be traced back to around the middle of the 18th century. Payroll as a word itself is an amalgamation of two words to indicate how much pay is given to a list of employees, which is the role. Now, of course, with payroll comes taxes, and they've also been around for a long time. And in the UK, there have been taxes on fireplaces, windows, printed wallpaper, hats, playing cards, even candles. But in 1798, income tax was introduced by, into the budget by William Pitt the Younger to help people pay for weapons and equipment for the upcoming Napoleonic Wars. It's nice to be current, isn't it? This new tax started at two old pence in the pound. Wow, we'd love to go back to that. On incomes of over £60 and forms the modern day concept of payroll taxes. Since then, the frequency of pay has been reasonably stable, generally stabilising into sort of weekly or monthly payroll cycles. But in recent times, we've had a crippling pandemic. We've seen war in Europe. We've seen significant increases in costs of living and wage freezes. We're starting to see strike action and worker discontent across many UK sectors, demanding pay increases to keep pace with inflation. All of this has led to significant employee hardships across many industries. So what can be done to help? Today, we'll be exploring how organisations can help employees who are struggling with earned wage access, which is also more colloquially known as pay on demand. 
So let's start by looking at this payroll. As I mentioned, it's it, you know the frequency of this has been relatively stable for six generations or more. But even then, the trend has been moving maybe towards more monthly payrolls. What are you seeing, Sharon, in various industries with some of the hardships that even just monthly payroll is starting to create? Yeah, well, listen, um, it's, it's as you said, I think, Simon, it is, it's been totally amplified over the last three years. So we are now in a terrible crisis. We're in a crisis where our utility bills have doubled. Uh, we're in a crisis whereby people are moving for, for 10 pence an hour just to try and gain a little bit more money. And I think we're in a crisis where employers, many of them would love to do better for their employees, but they also are in crisis and don't have additional funds to, to make things better. So what we are seeing in the industry we are in is, and I think we're very privy, is we get to talk to the employees and the employers. And we're seeing that people understand that the way we've been paid since really in the 1960s, when the banks decided, let's take all that money into our banks and give everybody a check once a month, that that just doesn't fit with modern day living. And I was thinking about this before we spoke this morning and thinking that, you know, it was always you're brought up to, to budget every month, weren't you? So you know your rent and you know your utilities and then you know what you have left. And, and that, I believe, is what everybody sets out to do every month. But everything now is variable. So I think I bored you before, Simon, by saying that my utility bills doubled overnight. So where do you find that double money? It usually comes out of your disposable income or something for the children. So I think what we're seeing is that employers and employees are like, I don't know where else to turn. And we certainly hear from employers that many more of them now have hardship funds. And I've been in this industry now for nearly four years. And, and hardship funds were not spoken of very much when I first started in this industry. But employees very much recognize they want to support their employees. And we're seeing employers looking for ways in which they can help their employees. I think they recognize people are at the most critical time of their lives through no fault of their own. And they're just looking for, for ways in which they can help. So I think the movement of people being able to access their pay on a more frequent basis couldn't be at a better time for people if they need it. I think that's always what this is about, if it's required. Absolutely. But in the past, you know, there has been those limited choices. Mm -hmm. uh, you mentioned about employers starting to offer hardship funds. But, you know, before then, yeah, it was almost that they had to go to these sort of payday loans that were, were we saw adverts for those uh, on various TV channels, didn't we? But the, the interest rates were astronomical. And that got people into more and more debt, potentially, if that wasn't carefully managed. You know, they were, for want of a better phrase, somewhat predatory in nature. Yeah. They they were sort of homing in on those that were specifically having trouble with finance and potentially even creating a, a worse scenario. Now, you, you work at any day. Um, you offer an alternative route to that, and you've specifically designed it around not being non-predatory. You know, tell mm -hmm. us how that works. I think earned wage access for any of your listeners who haven't heard of it, and it's still fairly new here. You know, we're nearly five years old in the UK and Europe, and about 13 years old in the US. And, you know, I work at any day and we work all over the world. So we're very blessed to be able to see trends. But, but what's very, very different about this is that earned wage access is a business to business contract. So we work directly with an employer. So if it was your employer, Simon, they might come to us and say, you know, we've, we've been talking to Simon and Michael recently, and we really recognize there's a need in the workforce for having access to their pay more regularly. We work directly with the employer, which means it's almost like a credit check of the employer to say, we're going to give you access to some funds for your employees throughout the month. And at the end of the month, you'll give us that money back. Why that is critical for employees on the ground 
is the people you were talking about that have had to go to payday loans often have poor credit. And that's often through no choice of their own. They found themselves in, in desperate situations where the only people that will give them credit are those predatory lenders. And therefore, that often then impacts their credit score because they fall behind because the rates are so high. So suddenly, earned wage access comes in via their employer and they suddenly have access to some of their earned wages throughout the course of the month at a very small fee. Now, I should say there are examples, certainly our organisation in the US, there is no fee because there's other ways that earned wage access providers can, can, can make sure they remain a commercially viable business. But in the UK and Europe, there is always a small fee. And it's very important that we make sure that fee is very, very manageable because at the heart of everything we do is we're trying to help employees who might find themselves in crisis. So you mentioned there about yeah, the employers potentially not having to pay a charge and you know, that there's potentially a charge for the employee. But you know, take us through how that works, because that's the bit, I think, that causes people, you know, the, the, the uncertainty, the nervousness. You know, how much does this cost? Are we back to in high interest rates or high charges if I need to use this, this wonderful solution? Just take us through how the model works. And, and that, will think, will help people understand how this is really targeted at helping rather than hindering somebody in financial difficulty. I would say that most models in the UK um, work on a basis of not charging the employer. There is an, a provider that does charge the employer a small fee as well, but, but fundamentally they tend to be free of charge to the employer. And then what we do is we charge a very small transaction fee every time the employee would like to access some of their money. So say you've just finished work for the day, Simon, and you're very, very lucky, you earn £100 a day, and we might allow you access to, say, £25, popping into your any day um, app on your telephone every day. If you wanted to access that, we then charge a small fee, which is, you know, I'd say across the industry varies between £1.45 and £1.75. So it's roughly like, you know, when you go to a cash point in a small village and they charge you a little fee. I think everybody's tried to stay in line with that as well, because as a consumer, I understand that as well. It's access to something where it's very convenient. And we see most people use this service. And I can honestly say this, you know, looking across the states and here as well, between four to five times a month. So people typically are going in once a week and taking out a little bit extra. Um, and that tends to sit between the 50 and 75 pounds mark. But there are some industries, and this, I suppose, is the insight that the team and I have brought to any day, where we have seen workers accessing this 15 times a month. And they might be workers that also are using food banks. And they might be workers that also are the people that care and save our lives, for example. So the most critical people in our workforce. And when people start to use it like that, it sat just slightly uneasy with me personally that they are they are then building up a sense of fees. So um, while I know everybody in our industry works incredibly hard for the end user and I can hand on heart say that, I think we just wanted to find a way if we could go above and beyond. And being able to cap our fees means that an, a user can say, I know I'm never going to spend more than, I don't know, say £10 a month on accessing some of my earned wages if I need to. At the heart of earned wage access, and this is the same for the whole industry, we offer financial education. Everyone does it slightly differently, but within your telephone app, which you open up every day, it shows you some education. It gives you ideas about budgeting, and also it gives you signposts to incredible charities should you find yourself in deep crisis. So you've got all of that going on. You've then got sight of your money every day. And actually, there's a lot to be said for just knowing how much you earn every day. And that doing something to understand, well, there's this 
wonderful pair of shoes I would love to buy, but they cost 50 pounds. And hang on, I earn 50 pounds a day. That's crazy. Like I should think about my income as an outgoing. So there's some side effects to seeing your money that actually is quite powerful in itself. So we offer the education, we cap the fees, and we just help to signpost to other people that can really support people if they are in times of crisis. Michael, can I bring you in here? You're just in the interest of balance and just to ask a bit of a question here about the, yeah. there's always two sides to every coin. I think mm. in that context and the upfront, there's no denying that we are in a very disruptive time. There's mm. no doubting about the hardship, the, the, you know, and that side of the coin is very real and it's really serious and it's a big problem. But just to flip for the moment also, and I know Simon uh, will be touching on well-being and et cetera, but is there something also, though, whereby the nature of just how people look at work is different? The gig economy has risen so much in the last few years. Mm -hmm. Is there also that individual who maybe no dependencies, you know, very fluid life, you know, lives on the moment, lives on the go, you know, just wants that access to funds as they go because hey, I want to live, I want experiences, I want to go to the bar with my friend, I want to go to this concert tonight, I can't wait till the end of the month when I get my pay. There's also that aspect too, I'm assuming. Yeah, 100%. And I think, you know, we've had some really big conversations actually outside of the UK. I did I did quite a lot of work out in the Netherlands a few years ago. And apologies for any listeners, I get this wrong, but they're, they're always described as being born with a spreadsheet, which I'm always very jealous of. But they absolutely, as you know, looking after large workforces said that's how they felt their people would use it because they, they were in a very privileged position of being super good with their money and being you know, very in control of it. But what we do see, and this again is across the industry, is that people are prepared to do more work when they get access to the money really quickly. So we saw a lot of um, inner city shift work that was super hard to fill for different organisations, different sectors. So they were bringing in agency staff, which is another massive cost. There's a cost to the management, bringing those people up to speed with what has to happen. And suddenly those the people working there already were like, well, I'll take that Saturday night shift because I will have that money at 9am on Sunday and I can then go out to a concert in the park on Sunday afternoon. So, you know, it is there for people to use in a really proactive way as well. I think at the heart of it is always that reflection on how does it stop people finding themselves in a desperate situation. But absolutely, if, as you say, and I wish I was that person, no dependence, you know, just all about having the best time of your life, living your best life, then of course you can then access your money really regularly and you can take on lots more work to fund it the, the holy grail of this michael would be and we've seen it is people looking ahead at the shifts they've got or the salaried work they've got for the month ahead saying this is a super expensive month the kids have got a school holiday thing coming up i've got to buy them all new shoes for when they go back or something else happening and actually my salary this month based on my new utility bill i haven't got enough so i'm going to go to my employer and say i need to take on four new shifts this month I need to get some extra work coming in. So I know at the end of the month, I'm balanced. So if we've created that as an industry, supported people to look ahead and plan, then, then I think we're pretty proud of that as well. I, I love that. And I, I mean, I was writing down on my pad just now about that educational piece. It's so much about education, isn't it? It's, <laughs> it's, it is so much about building knowledge, building understanding, a different perspective. Yeah. And, and, and I'm always looking at both sides of the coin. I think it's yeah. important to have a balance, isn't there? It isn't all doom and gloom. There are some people that can use our services in a way that really amplifies their life and gives them, you know, the best of time. So, yeah, we shouldn't forget those people. 
And so if I could just clarify, because I think it, just before we move into some of the wider discussion, in terms of how the model works, you're not saying to an individual, you've earned £50 to this point, you can have all of that £50. You're, you're capping how much of that money they can access, aren't you? So it, there is still money potentially coming in later in the month rather than them accessing it all now and then potentially just punting the problem down the road, if you like, when when bills will arrive, for example. So you are still leaving some money in the bank if, or, or in the pot, if you like. You're still sort of advocating that financial responsibility. I, I like the analogy with the ATM. Yeah, it's that ability to draw some out, potentially with a charge, yeah, and a small charge, but you know, you're not drawing everything down at that point. Is that that's right? That's urban studies, isn't it? That's 100% right. I mean, as an industry, no one really ever allows more than access to 50% of people's earned wages. But, you know, I should point out, most of us do take that from gross. So, you know, again, I think, you know, and this is kind of hot off the press, we're, we're working with our employers on a day by day basis, but we tend to come in and, and suggest that they start much lower than that. You know, we're really probably looking that it's really sensible to take maybe 25% of gross, which is probably what, about 31% of your of your net. Because this is a big change in how people have had access to their money. And with change comes a responsibility, I think, from us as a provider and the employer to say, we want to do something that we think is massively empowering for you. But we get, and that isn't being nanny state, because I hate that, but we get that actually with change comes responsibility. So therefore, the access is, is within a really sensible amount. And then we just work with our employers over the course of, you know, the first year to see behaviours to see what their employers employees are saying. And then if, if the employees are saying, well, actually, I'd really love a little bit more than that. And the employer says, well, that's fabulous, of course. Then we can then adjust. But I think we have to come at this as providers with a, you know, a real social conscience and make sure that everything we've learned over the last four years here and the US has learned in the last 13 years, that we take all of those knowledge and learnings back to the employer and suggest why for their sector that might work best to start. This is for good, I suppose, is my point. And what we don't yeah. want to do is get it wrong. Yeah, absolutely. Now, is there a misconception here that actually it's only low income levels that struggle financially? Or has your your, your company found that higher rates of pay uh, income earnings are also impacted by this? Yeah, I mean, it, we always knew of it anecdotally. So we worked, um, you know, I've worked in the past with some airports and they had some incredible um, HR and payroll teams there. And I know they brought it in very much for thinking of their baggage handlers, their security guys, thinking it would be really life changing for them. And some of their first users were the pilots. <laughs> and they were like, oh, I didn't expect that. That's that's surprising. And then throughout the last year, there's been a number of surveys done, particularly across the UK last year. And the two biggest pockets of people that really are living payday to payday are our very lowest earners and our very highest and the ones that really would struggle most almost if a bill came in unexpectedly in those surveys is pointing towards the higher end users now. So if you're earning over 100,000 in the southeast, you've got a lot of things associated to your pay. And I think sadly what we saw through the crisis is maybe two household incomes became one house, you know, became one income. Lots of things changed, people went on pay cuts, different things happened. So it really just isn't our lower paid workers. It is across the board. Everyone is being squeezed. And are you seeing any particular prevalence in any particular industry? Uh, you mentioned there 
yeah, uh, health workers, emergency workers, for example. Are you, uh, retail, I imagine, is another industry that might be impacted and, and would have particularly benefit from this sort of service. What, what are you seeing from an industry and sector perspective? We did a lot of work a few years ago and the biggest users of payday loans in our country at that point, and this, this is a couple of years old, but I don't imagine it shifted massively, were our healthcare workers and our armed forces, our service personnel. So the people that protect us, save us, keep us well, we're all being forced down those paths. And, it, you know, I mean, that is, you know, frightening, astonishing and deeply upsetting, I think. But we do see, we've seen usage really cut apart, I think, in manufacturing. You're absolutely right about retail. I've seen retail maybe a bit slower to, to take up earned wage access than some other sectors, but they really are looking at it right now. You know, we've worked with financial institutions and their workers have been heavy users of this, as in, you know, clever, do, doing the right thing taking the right amount of money but it's rare to find somebody in your own life if you're out fortunate enough to be out having a drink with some friends at the weekend to not hear someone saying god it's tough right now and it doesn't matter what they do how old they are how much they earn everyone is really feeling the squeeze so i think it's genuinely is really industry-wide okay well let's take a step back then because you're offering a financial service here, uh, but it's actually, as as Michael mentioned earlier on, this is really a well-being, isn't it? If if you can feel better about having your finances well placed, then you feel better about yourself more generally. And I imagine some organisations you might consider bearing some of these transactional costs, you know, themselves as an employer, and providing that then as a, a differentiating benefit to show they're in supporting employee well-being. Have you seen that emerging at all? Not as much as I would like. <laughs> um, I would love for all employers to do this for all of their employees. I think people would care more about this than a cycle to work scheme and some fruit on the table in the office when they go in. So I'm a big advocate for employers paying for it. But I also understand, look, you know, they don't suddenly look at their P&L one day and decide they've got some spare cash to go and add another benefit. But my advice to employers, if they would be um, prepared to listen, is look at what you're currently doing and is it fit for purpose now? You know, most benefits were set up before we went into a crisis whereby most people work from home. And so actually we're now in a cost of living crisis. And the one thing everybody says they care about more than anything is having access to their money. So I would really, really encourage employers you're not talking about a huge amount here. As you say, the employee themselves is not paying anything for this this service. Yeah. The employee is potentially paying an ATM withdrawal type size of fee, less than a yeah. couple of quid. If yeah. the employer said, actually, for your first time that you might incur that fee, we'll take that hit. Yeah. Uh, it, that's a small amount, really, but it can make yeah. a massive difference to someone's nervousness about taking and using the earned wage access to saying, well, look, my company's supporting me. You know, maybe I can use this. Maybe it does help. And, and, and maybe up to ease that capability into the offerings that they're, they're then um, providing. Michael, did you have some thoughts on this? Yeah, yeah, I, I, I did. I, I had a question coming into the conversation today, you know, because I'm still going on this other side of the coin. And this well-being topic for me, I think, is pretty crucial. So through this, the, through the conversations we've had today with many of our guests, Sharon, one of the things that we've started to touch upon is, is, the attraction of talent into organizations mm -hmm. is getting harder. There are skills gaps. The talent pool is potentially getting a little smaller. If you look at the demographics, we do have an aging workforce. Now, people will debate this and dispute this and say, oh, no, no, it's nonsense. The reality is people are struggling to hire and retain. And I love the point you just made there about 
when I look at that employee value proposition and mm-hmm. I'm determining, do I join you, Sharon, and your organization, or do I join you, Simon, and yours? There's got to be something in there that's compelling to me and it matters to me. And you said, you know, is it about they've got a gym or is it about this flexibility in my reward? Now, in the conventional terms, payroll is a hygiene factor. It's a hygiene factor. I just expect it to work. This isn't about hygiene, though, is it? You know, and, and that's why I think coming into the conversation today, I was I wrote down on my pad, you know, does this fit into the employee value proposition? Is this now a differentiator in terms of where I'm choosing to work? Because it's got flexibility, agility, more control in my hands. I feel more empowered. I'm, I have the autonomy that I have in every other aspect of my life. That's where my head's at. Is that a fair point? Oh, listen, it's a completely fair point. I mean, we always call it the paradigm shift that, you know, the, the payroll just and this is of no disrespect to anyone in payroll, but it isn't fit for purpose for today's modern day life. It was built in the 60s to work in such a way that that made complete sense. And people always say to me, oh, how come it's, you know, how does it do in the US? Because they get paid biweekly. And there's a stat, I think, that now says that by the end of next year, 20 percent of all enterprise in the US will get paid this way. So that's biweekly. My US colleagues are like, how do you survive for a month? Like they can't imagine. It's a long time. It's a very long time. So, yeah, I think there is that. And we certainly saw the last year, if you look at sort of people that maybe are doing roles like cleaning in London in hotels, they jump from hotel to hotel because, of course, they're trying to drive their their price up. Ten pence more here, ten pence more an hour there. Imagine now you're stood in front of the two hotels. You've got Michael's Lovely Boutique Hotel and Simon's Lovely Boutique Hotel. Michael gives me access to my pay on a daily basis and Simon doesn't. Really sorry, Simon, I won't be working for you. And it does come down to that. So that's why we'd call it, you know, the paradigm shift that employers now have got to look and say within my local market, so within my territory and then within within my competitive set, where do I fit in terms of offering much more flexible pay? This is why this was such an important conversation today for me, because, you know, when Simon and I were working through our episode list and we're looking through what aspects of the conversation do we need to talk about? I think if we'd have said to somebody, oh, we're going to talk about payroll, right? Would they have made the link and join to an employee value proposition, for example? Possibly not. And one of the things that we're so mindful of is the context in which we're living and working is shifting. And that's a paradigm shift. Simon and I use the language a lot that people live autonomous micro experiences at home that I curate. Nobody curates for me. Yeah. You know, I consume capability to do the things that I want to do. So I think making these joins, I think, is really, really crucial. Simon. And this was part of the reason for that that fairly long-winded context I did right at the start there. You know, we set the groundwork that said payroll has been around for a long time. Every organization has a payroll capability. It's often very difficult to change that payroll capability. Moving to a new vendor is not a quick decision to take and it's not a quick decision to implement, but this is a quick add-on to payroll. You don't have to change your payroll to use this. This is an add-on to payroll that suddenly lets you offer a modern access to your money without having to do the huge effort of changing the payroll function underneath there. That's the way that I think that context was trying to frame this, to say time has moved on. 
but our, and our payroll potentially will move on. At SAP, we're working and trying to reimagine how payroll could operate in the future. But that takes time. It takes time at any software provider of payroll functionality. But what you're doing is you're you're plugging into those payroll solutions and those core HR solutions to say, yes, but we can just let you tap into that and access that. And even if we weren't in these difficult times, I think that's still very important that to be able to have that offering because you beautifully framed that as well, you offer it and you don't. So I'm going to go to the one that does offer it because that's a modern benefit. That's that's how I live my life. Yeah, exactly. And I think I, I don't know if I mentioned earlier as well, but just to be clear, is that the earned wage access providers here and in the US usually access and, and have their own debt facility, their credit facility. So we we are providing those advances throughout the course of the payroll cycle. So this is totally cash flow neutral to employers as well, because life is tough for them. They can't suddenly go, oh, right, so I've got money coming in and out of my payroll like 20 times in a month. So we as a group of providers recognize all of those things and we try and make it as painless as possible. We always talk about we like a little umbrella that pops in over the top of everything you do and gives your employees this access if they need it. I love love the phraseology, the umbrella that sits above it all. This may appeal to people listening on the podcast. They may go, I need that. I want that. If they're thinking about offering this capability to the workforce, there's going to be a technical aspect to that. There's going to be a solution that they need to put in. But there's a lot more to it, I suspect, putting this into a workforce and making sure that it's well understood. I would imagine things like union buy-in, the communication with the employees, There'll be some technical integration as well. But how do you think that people should think about implementing this? I'd like to think as a group of providers that we as an industry have done a lot of the hard work for everybody. You know, we are obviously integrated with a number of global software providers that that I think at last count gives access for 60 million employees to, to have this turn on tomorrow. So I think as providers, it's really important we're going out and building those relationships with the providers. Really, really critical. And then when an employer approaches us, I always encourage them to have the important people around the table early. So sometimes we can fall into a trap that perhaps the C-suite should come and talk to us and we'll all talk for many months about how wonderful this could be and what a change it will make. Whereas I'd much rather meet with the unions or in the NHS we used to meet with staff side. I want the payroll team in the room from day one the people that have to do all these things and have seen how these things work. And we just want to talk to them. We want to understand their workers. We want to understand the different cohorts of workers. We've worked with businesses that have 17 different payroll systems, (laughs) 17 different dates. So all of those things, we have to come in and be your sort of trusted advisor, I suppose. And we then can say, well, okay, so we've done your sector before with very similar cohorts of workers. We would recommend that maybe this could work particularly well. We then are blessed as an industry, and certainly I am too, with some incredible marketeers. And we talk to you about how you talk to your workers. So if you've got a group of workers that drive drive your trucks, they might not all be really keen on email all the time. I mean, they might not read all those company emails that come out very dull. So how do they usually talk to them? And sometimes that means we're going and putting posters up in staff rooms still, you know. So we talk about how do you communicate the important stuff in your business? And we will then replicate that and come in and give all of that for you. Pre-COVID, we used to go out and do a lot of roadshows and they're all coming back. I can see um, ourselves and others in the industry getting back out on the road and talking to people. But it, but technically, it's much more straightforward if you work with a provider that is sort of integration led, because all of the 
tying up of the technical stuff is done in the background and and I as a non-technical person would then call that a turnkey solution and then it's all about just how do we tell people that this is available and explain it well because benefits fall over when they arrive in an organization if people don't truly understand them or they're communicated poorly so it's all then down to us to really help the employer you know it can be a very very straightforward thing particularly when all the integrations have already happened in the background but i think you touched on an important point earlier as well it's not just about putting this solution in place it's also putting in things like financial education alongside this isn't it so you can still get into difficulty with these sorts of solutions so helping people to develop a better financial understanding i think is crucial to this being a true success Absolutely. And I I always like to share a story of a wonderful company I worked with in Ireland and um, they saw one of their workers using this on quite a regular basis and they had an incredible HR team. And and also, I should say that as an employer, you'd only really have people having access to the back office who would have had access to payroll. You know, this is still, you know, there's a duty of care and there's only so many people that should see that detail. But this wonderful, wonderful HR leader saw this one person using this on quite a regular basis and managed to have a conversation and understood that actually that person's wife had lost their job. They had a baby and he was taking on extra shifts at the weekend with another company. So through the course of earned wage access and him behaving in a completely fine way to be able to access money on a daily basis, his employers were able to say, well, hang on, we can get you more shifts. We can help with this. Do we need to change some of your hours around to help with the wife and the baby? And and she just I remember her phoning me and said, she said, you always said to me that there would be a story that would just blow my mind. And today the story happened. And I wish we'd done it years ago. So that's why we get up every day and do it, I suppose. It does make a real difference. So as we as we draw to a close, it's been a fascinating episode again, as always. Uh, we ask our, our guest to share some tips and tricks that are on the topic. Um, any pieces of advice or wisdom that you might have around this sort of space? What would you like to share with the, the audience? Don't be late to the late to the game, I suppose, would be my advice, because we are, you know, as a, as a nation, as people, we can be quite risk averse. We can think of oh, this newfangled thing about pay. We'll see how that all you know, plays out. But I, I think it's such a critical thing for people's employees. I just think, encourage them to talk to one of us about how it really works. Get an earned wage access provider in, really dive into the detail with them um, and hear about how they've worked with other companies and what's happening, because what I genuinely know is once it's in, it, it is utterly life-changing for some of your employees. I always tell the story. Imagine having money in your phone every day, how that makes you feel compared to thinking, oh my God, I could run out of money this month. And that's all Earn Rage Access does. That person might never access their money in 12 months, but they know they have money in their phone. I mean, that's pretty blooming powerful, I think. And so as an employer, you have the power to do that. And of course, as an employee, you have a power to pay for that. <laughs> so that's what I would uh, urge. And I think my top piece of advice, we were recently at the American Payroll Congress out in America, where, as I say, 13 years on, every single talk ended in earned wage access, even when people weren't involved in it. Someone put up on the screen on the last day, and I've written it down here, earned wage access doesn't encourage bad habits, but it does prevent bad situations. And I think if every employer listening could think about it like that, then I think we've done a good job today. And if we flip that round to the employee side, I guess the probably the biggest piece of advice if if people are getting into financial difficulty is to speak out about it, is to talk to their employers. Because 
as you mentioned in your story there, there's potentially things that the employer can do to help, even if it's not offering a, an earned wage access solution. It could be more shifts. It could be whatever it may, time off may be needed. Or it could just be counselling, for example, that there are things that employers can offer and maybe, you know, if more and more employees are asking for this sort of solution, that might also give good information to the employer to think there's a demand for this type of solution. Maybe we should then implement this type of solution. Totally. I mean, I always say to employers, for every one person that raises their hand and says, I'm having a tough time, there's probably seven behind them that don't feel comfortable to do that. Overlay with that our very Britishness about money. And there are lots of people that don't feel they can come forward. But I, I like to think COVID has changed that slightly. I think our relationship with our employers is quite different now to what it was maybe five years ago. And what I know from all the employers I've met is most of them just want to really do the right thing. So they really welcome hearing that. So I think we all just need to be a bit braver, employers and employees, and just put it on the table and see how we can help each other. I think that's a perfect way of framing that. Sharon, I'd like to thank you for your time today. I think that's been a super interesting conversation. I think we've brought payroll to life as you as we've as we've discussed. I think you know, a topic on payroll, I was thinking, oh, this could be dry, this could be heavy. But actually, this is a, a real differentiator here now. How can people use payroll to really be an improvement to people's lives going forward? So thank you for your time. It's very much appreciated. I loved the conversation. And we'll close out there. Thank you very much for having me. Do you know what, Simon? I learned a great deal through that conversation. Sharon was a great guest, clearly cares very deeply about the impact of this proposition, if you like. For me, listening into the conversation and just understanding how this is applied to low earners, high earners, different circumstances, it was actually quite an eye-opener. I mean, if I can just give you a couple of my takeaways, uh, first and foremost, this thing that it reflects modern day life, I think was very telling. It, it does. These are these are different times. And then it, I was talking, wasn't I, about the two sides to the coin, that there are people who, for a variety of reasons, need money there and then because they've got a bill to pay or they're just really struggling. And that's the harsh reality. But then the other side of the coin, you may have somebody who's got no dependents living a very free life, just wants that money there and then because they're going to go to a bar or concert or they want to buy it, whatever it may be, right? It's just a different lifestyle. That was a really eye-opening conversation. Yourself? You know, one of the key takeaways for me is that this isn't just about low-income earners. You know, this isn't just about living from paycheck to paycheck. You know, we talked in the episode about earners that maybe earn 100,000 plus or more or, you know, sectors, for example, that we weren't expecting, like the financial uh, services sector. Anyone can have unexpected costs and anyone can have financial well-being impacts uh, as a result of that. So this may have a broad appeal to those low income earners that are struggling but i think it's got a wider appeal to to potentially anybody um and you know from from organizations that have considered this looking at the impacts of the financial well-being i think is particularly important you know people bring that that burden to work that can in, impact on their productivity it can impact on absences for example it could potentially yeah. even lead to looking for another job so this is not something to sweep under the carpet and this seems like a very straightforward solution to offer to people we we mentioned it many times it doesn't cost the employer anything and it costs the employee 
less than a, a withdrawal fee from an ATM. You know, those are very small numbers, but can have a huge impact on whether somebody's got well-being or not. Yeah, I think that that's crucial. You know, this is not something that's like a payday loan. It, it, you know, it's non-predatory. It's there to help. It's a low-cost solution. But it gives people that flexibility, like you say, whether that's because of need or whether that's just because of lifestyle. And I think that was, that was crucial for me. The whole person, again, isn't it? It comes back again to the whole person. And I think we were discussing in the conversation there of if an organisation is offering this as a benefit, is that now seen as a competitive advantage? Is that a more appealing than the fact they've got an on-site gym? Do you know what? It could be. It, it could be. Again, why I think this was such an important conversation and the way that we talked about the conversation is because it's about the whole person, the choices, the decisions, their well-being, how they want to live their life. It comes back again to what is this future experience about? And I think just the other thing we did touch on, though, which is important, is this in itself is not the answer. It's this as part of the solution, isn't it? There's there's financial advice that should go alongside this to avoid future occurrences potentially. So yeah, this is a great solution. It's a, it was a fascinating conversation, but people shouldn't just think of this as the the solution to the whole problem. Good point. It's not a silver bullet. You said that in the conversation about you know the danger with this is you kick the can down the road and you're just storing up problems, aren't you? So the educational part, I think you're right, is a big is a big thing. Good. I hope the listeners take from that what we did, really think about it, because I think any organisation today that's evaluating how are we supporting, what help are we giving, is it balanced right, is this something they've thought about but they haven't done, and does this now give them maybe a bit of impetus to go, ooh, okay, that could make a big difference. As we say, we're, we're trying to help, aren't we? Another good conversation, really, really enjoyable, and we will move on to the next one. Uh, but until then, everybody, bye. Bye.